0: Hey, nice to see you guys again already. Isn't that crazy how that works? Just boom, boom, like that. Uh, Again, I'm Daniel. I'm one of our pastors, and we're eager to finish up this series, Grinched With You, that has really given us an incredible opportunity to think about what the meaning of Christmas is really about. But today I want to do something a little bit different because I can guarantee that there is someone in here who is trying to recover from the amazing amount of food that they have eaten over the course of the last week. So we're going to do something a little bit participatory, if you will. That's like a, you're welcome for that word right there. We're going to do something that causes a little bit of audience interaction here. So what I would love for you to do is to stand up as we read God's word today. We did this on Christmas Eve as well, but I'm going to read our passage. If you just stand up with me, we're going to take an opportunity to dig into God's word together. And then I'm going to ask you to do something afterwards. Um, And I'm sorry for all of you introverts in the room. Just... I feel you, but we're going to do it anyway. This is John chapter 13. If you want to turn there in your physical Bible or on your Bible app, it's also going to be on the screen as well. This is a story about how Jesus serves and gives. So check this out. Starting in verse 1, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and to go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up. He got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize what I'm doing, but later you will understand. So Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, "'Unless I wash you, you have no part with me.'" Then Lord Simon Peter said, "'Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well.'" Jesus answered, "'Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you.'" For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not every one was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. "'Do you understand what I've done for you?' he asked them." You call me teacher and Lord and rightly so for that is what I am. Now that I your Lord and teacher have washed your feet you should also wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you no servant is greater than his master nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things you will be blessed if you you do them. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn to three people and say it is better to give than receive. Go on ahead and do that. Turn to three people, maybe even pop into a different aisle. It's better to give than receive. I know some of you don't even believe it this morning, but I want you to say it anyway. It is better to give than receive. Man, this feels like old school church all of a sudden, like meeting and greeting people. I grew up doing this every single week, by the way. You can sit down, by the way. Thank you. Man, I felt like I had like a little extra extra control there for a second. You know, when you're a kid, isn't Christmas incredible? Isn't it incredible just having the stack of gifts that are endless and more and more and more Presidents. I had a little bit of a lisp, so I actually called them presidents. Like I couldn't distinguish the difference between those two things at that point in time. But you'll recognize that Christmas changes the older that you get. You become a spouse, you become a parent, or you just become an adult in general. And you recognize in my case that I have a 17 month old daughter who has a stack of gifts three times taller than she is and three times bigger than my stack of gifts because people care about her a whole lot more than they care about me at Christmas. That's just the way that it works. It's the circle. Of life, and the funny thing is, is she doesn't even care about her presents. Like I watched my kid at two separate Christmas gatherings take a Christmas bag and play peekaboo by putting it over her head. It wasn't a plastic bag. I'm not a terrible parent. You could breathe through there, okay? But just over and over again, there's 15 people just googling at my daughter, and I'm like, why don't you pay attention to me a little bit too, right? I've got some things to work through, honestly. Um, But have you ever noticed that we make it through Christmas and the giving kind of like takes a steep decline all of a sudden? See, it's not as tax friendly to give in January as it is in December, am I right? And pragmatism sets in, and if you've got family members or friends who are born in January, uh, they can attest to the fact that they've been getting the short end of the stick for their entire lives, okay? And so we don't have this concoction of like Hallmark and Lifetime movies and Christmas music running through our veins, and so all of a sudden, it is not as feely and fuzzy and awesome to give, because we look at our checking account, and we're done giving for a while now. The Grinch. We've been talking about him for several weeks. He tried to steal Christmas, but here's what he found out. He found out that giving everything away was a far better way to live than trying to take and hold on to things for himself. But I've always wondered this about the Grinch. Do you think he continued to give? I mean, I I would really love a Grinch 2.0, like the Grinch 10 years later, the documentary, right? Did the Grinch continue to be generous and to give and to be selfless? Or did his heart that grew up three sizes in one day shrink back to the size that it was before? And this is the core question that I'm getting at because I think about it with myself. When I do things that I'm proud of or I think that God is proud of, particularly when it comes to giving, this is the question that I'm really wrestling with. Is it possible to be generous all year? Is it possible to have a heart that seeks to serve first Is it possible to keep giving and giving and giving and giving, or is there some sort of limit that we reach where it's like, oh gosh, like I've fulfilled my obligation to give. Now I want to ground us in a very important concept. When we talk about generosity as a church, it is very clear that this is not simply a financial thing, and we'll be missing the point if that's all we're thinking about. Generosity at its core, it's an act of service. It's not just something we think with our head, but it's something we do with our hands and our feet. It's saying that all my stuff, everything that I have and I am, it is on the table for you. I'm giving it away for your sake instead of holding on to it for myself. And so for as long as I've been here at First Champagne, we've been talking about generosity as the extension of more than just our finances. And we define it like this. Generosity is the surrender of our time, our talent, and our treasures before God for the sake of the world. It's all there for you, God, for the sake of blessing others. Now, I don't want you to be confused because generosity is not a simple checklist. And I want you to be careful, too, because generosity is also, although it's not a checklist, it's not something that happens on accident as well. It requires intentional effort to develop. And you're about to see Jesus is very intentional with the way that he gives. So... As Jesus approached his death on the cross, this is the passage that we just read. We heard him in this upper room celebrating what would have been the most wonderful time of the year for the Jewish calendar. Because Christmas isn't exactly a thing at this point in time, right? So Passover, it's a celebration about how God has rescued the people of Israel from slavery, And this is a big, big deal that they celebrate over and over again. And this is what I want to make clear. Although the passage we just talked about is about love and service, love and service is really the practice or the motivation that leads to the fruit of generosity. Okay? Now, this is where we get to this really important verse that I want to read one more time. It says this, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. So Jesus is secure in who he is. He understands that he is different. And that he is the embodiment of the God of Israel. That he is God's only son. So knowing all of that, he got up from the meal, took took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. So i got to ask, what is Jesus doing playing the waiter at the dinner party? I mean, he's about to go and be strung up on a Roman cross to reconcile the sins of the world. Does Jesus not deserve (laughs) to take a moment to relax, to be served, to be worshipped? What is he doing, taking the posture of a servant at such an incredible hour as this? Those are fair observations, but here is what I'm recognizing. Even though Jesus has all the authority He takes the lowest position. Even though he's the Son of God, he places himself as the servant of the dinner party. You ever notice that we don't know what to do with pure generosity? Like when someone is just purely generous, we're always like, what's the hook? Like, what's the thing behind this? And so Jesus starts to wash people's feet, and his bold friend Peter speaks up in obstinate. He's like, Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. He thinks he's being humble. You ever run across people like that who, like, are being fake humble? That's kind of what Peter is doing in a moment like this. But then Jesus kind of pushes back into him, and so Peter's like, all the end of the other end of the spectrum. He's like, well, give me a whole bath then. And Jesus is like, bro, you don't need a whole bath. Like, you've already had one of those, okay? This is not what needs to happen. But he flips from one side to the other. He doesn't really know how to handle what Jesus is doing. So the point Jesus is making is that in a world where people walked around with open-toed shoes, even the Son of God is willing to stoop down the king and wash people's nasty, nasty feet. A true act of service and generosity. So I've got to ask you, what type of generosity makes you uncomfortable? Do you cringe when you're on the interstate exit on prospect and the car in front of you rolls down the window and hands a 20 to the guy holding up the sign? Do you feel a weird sense of obligation to pay it forward when the person in front of you at the drive-in coffee joint, whether it's Dunkin' or Starbucks, pays for your coffee? Or Maybe, like when you get through the Christmas season and you recognize that you've either given more or you've received more, do you feel like this weird lack of balance where you feel obligated to balance that out one way or the other? See, whether it's because we've outgiven others or others have outgiven us or we're not comfortable with the giving that's occurring around us, we need to think critically about what type of generosity makes us feel uncomfortable. And maybe this is the issue. You ever notice that the people we think about more than anyone else while we're giving is ourselves? How people will perceive us as we give? How we can get the credit for how we give? Maybe how we can attach some strings to our gifts so we can reel it back in when it's time for us to treat ourselves or when we need a favor? But when we look to Jesus, we start to recognize Jesus gets down and washes his disciples' feet without any expectation of anything in return. In fact, he seems to know that he's about to be betrayed to death by this guy Judas, and he washes his feet knowing he's about to sell his life away for a bag of silver. And so Jesus, he gets down on his knees and in a very tangible way illustrates a more profound reality. See, generosity and service and love have no limit. There's not a task too gross or too great or too small or a sacrifice too big or too little that we shouldn't be willing to lay on the line if we are captivated with Jesus. So after this entire exercise of gross foot washing, which a lot of times we like make it out to be less gross than it actually was, Jesus goes on to explain what he just did, and he says this, I've set an example for you that you should Do as I have done for you. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I bet you've heard that phrase before, no servant is greater than their master, whether you knew it was a Bible thing or a Jesus thing or not. I want you to think, though, about, like, the best bosses or the best friends or the best mentors or the best parents in the world. I'm willing to bet that the extent to which those people, those places of authority serve and give and love without expecting anything in return is the extent to which you respect them and are willing to follow them. A lot of the time it's been said it's hard to go where you're not willing to go. It's hard to lead others where you're not willing to go. And this is what I'm discovering. If we want to influence the world, if we want to take the hope and the light of Jesus that's within us, it's not going to happen, and it's not just going to magically pop up in other people's lives if we manipulate them or order them to receive the light of Jesus. The light of Jesus spreads when we serve and we love and we give and we proclaim his name without expecting people to serve us in return. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is not just serving his disciples for what he could get in return. Maybe you see it that way, but it's way more pure and way more grand of a vision than that. See, Jesus, he gives so that we can give. Jesus didn't just live his life, blow up the system of religious oppression, speak hope to those who were hopeless, and ultimately succumb to death and then rise again from the dead just so we could give him a round of applause, although he deserves all the praise and glory and honor. Jesus gave it all so he could give through us. So when we look at our master Jesus, we need to recognize to understand him is to follow his example. Generosity isn't just something you engage with in your head. It is something that you have to do with your hands and your feet. You know, I live in a home where I'm rarely asked directly to do things. I don't know if there are any other guys in the room who can relate to me. Um, I've talked my wife through this illustration in advance, just so you know we're all safe here. Um, I, I always get alluded to do things. You know what I'm saying? I'm never asked, go take out the trash. I'm asked, would you like to take out the trash? I'm never asked or told, change your daughter's diaper, I'm asked, would you like to change your daughter's diaper? And, you know, think about it this way. Imagine if I just said, oh, you know, I'd love to, just not today. That, you know, that, I understand it in my head. I, aren't I generous? Aren't I loving? Aren't I serving? No, that, that would harm my relationship a little bit more every single day that I pretended to play dumb when I'm asked these open-ended questions about things that need to be done around the house. See, generosity, it's a partnership of your head, your heart, and your hands. We see Jesus. We watch him willing to give up everything in order to redeem us and to restore us to God and to each other and to be generous. And so what he does, we do. We're inspired by it and we respond with our lives. Not out of a sense of obligation, but because we are honestly inspired that the king of heaven, the one who had all the authority and the power, stooped down to serve. When we finally recognize the extent to which Jesus loved and served and gave, not even holding back his life, a new question starts to advance in our minds. Instead of asking, what can I get for what I give? We start to ask this question that a pastor I really admire named Andy Stanley brings up a lot of the time. We start to ask what does love require of me now before John chapter 13 closes John a guy who had a really close relationship with Jesus recalled this direct quote of Jesus one of the most profound things Jesus said he said a new command I give you love one another why out of obligation no as I have loved you so you must love one another By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Aren't you looking for an authentic example of that? Aren't you looking for someone who follows Jesus who actually exemplifies the statement that Jesus just made? You know, what I'm recognizing is that a lot of people don't have problems with Jesus. I mean, they kind of find it implausible that he rose from the dead, sure, but they respect him. Because he makes bold claims, but he also backs them up with his life. He does the talking and the walking. But a lot of the time, what we find in Christians are people who excuse being less than generous because of the perfect example of Jesus. Instead of being inspired by Jesus' generosity to be more, to love more, to serve more out of a place of purity, we say, oh, Jesus is perfect. I could never be like that. I could never serve like that. I could never give like that. So we sit on the sidelines of generosity. And that, my friends, is something that we call cheap grace. Cheap grace is a form of excusing sin and selfishness by pointing to Jesus' perfection and saying, oh, he's perfect, I can't be like that. On the other hand, though, we might discover that costly grace is a far better way to live. Costly grace understands that I can always love, give, and serve more because in Jesus I have access to a perfect example of love and generosity. What you recognize is when people are on fire for Jesus, they can't hold on to their stuff. They just give it away. They give their lives away. All they have and all that they are are on the table before God. And a guy who really got this was a man named Paul. He spent his entire adult life after he met Jesus traveling around the Mediterranean seaboard, proclaiming the good news of Jesus and planting little churches and then giving away the leadership of those churches to other people. And so at the end of one of these relationships where he had to leave and he knew he had never see his friends again, that he had loved and served alongside, this is what Paul said about his entire ministry. He said this, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, it is more blessed to give than receive. So there actually was a point to that whole thing that I had you do where you walked around and had to awkwardly talk to other people. So you're welcome. So here's what's really profound. This actually is a statement that we never see Jesus directly make in the New Testament. But when we look at Paul's life and we look at the life of the early church and when we look at the life of Jesus in the Gospels, we recognize that this is an authentic teaching of Jesus that's passed down by word without ever even landing in the Gospels. And Paul can say, you know that Jesus said it's better to give than receive. Now, Paul, he wasn't a servant of Jesus for what he could get. He was so wrapped up in the reputation of the church that he refused to take a paycheck for being a pastor. Paul would go around and he would support himself by making tents and by drawing generosity, not to his cause, but the cause of others in the kingdom of God and in the church globally. And after Paul spoke these words, he got on a boat and he sailed to Jerusalem where he would be arrested and spend the rest of his life in some form of captivity, whether arrested by the Jewish religious authorities in Jerusalem or under house arrest in Rome itself. And so you look at Paul's life and you wonder, wow, this is a guy who has sold out to Jesus and he lost everything. Why would I follow this way? Why would I do this Jesus thing if I know it's going to lead me to do ridiculous things like give away my stuff and to think of other people first? Isn't that costly? Well, yes. You may think that Paul left this world with nothing to hold on to. But Paul, and people who are inspired by the love and generosity of Jesus, they don't define themselves by the things that they have. Instead, we lean into costly grace and we discover the secret that true freedom comes from giving everything away when we serve jesus when we're compelled by him our time our talent our treasure not like a checklist but like a whole life of intimacy and relationship with jesus it's on the table before god and it's like god has us completely there isn't a single thing that we're holding on to We spend most of our lives trying to hold on to stuff, trying to acquire more, do more, be more, accomplish more. And if I'm being honest, and I think if you're being honest, the thing you'll recognize is that that is so exhausting. It's so exhausting to always constantly be seeking after more and more and more. At the very least, we know intellectually that at some point we're going to die and hand away all of our stuff to someone else, whether we like to or not. I don't know if you've recognized this. When we love, when we serve, when we give, our life actually extends beyond our life. It lives on in the lives of other people who become loving and servants and generous. When we have this perspective shift, you'll realize that it is possible to give more and more and more. That giving isn't just a December and during my family's birthday type of thing. Because when we're captivated by Jesus, Giving is never out of season. Giving is never out of season. Now, I want to encourage you, because there are some of you sitting in here today who are struggling right now. You're struggling in a tangible financial way, and when you hear a message about generosity, you're thinking to yourself, man, I just wish that I could be as generous as fill in the blank." I want to encourage you because we know, according to scripture itself, that you could be the most destitute person in the room and be the most generous person in the room at the same exact time. You might be feeling like less than because you received way more than you gave in this season. Today is a good reminder that giving is a posture more than a pocketbook. And today is a good day to remember that giving is something in our character that develops over time as we practice it again and again and again, not just with our treasure, but with our time and our talent as well. But no matter who you are, no matter where life finds you on this December 30th odd in between, what year is it, I'm not sure, we all have a next step to take when it comes to being generous, like our king who stoops down to serve and wash the feet of the folks who are about to betray him. Remember, no servant is greater than their master. And if the master Jesus himself stooped down to become a human, (laughs) to serve, to love, to give, there isn't an act of generosity or a sacrifice too great that we don't have the capability to do by the power of the Holy Spirit resting in those who know Jesus. Now let's move to our time of response. Today, I want to give you an opportunity to do something really simple. Really simple. I want you to really zero into this one thing. I want you to surrender to Jesus. I know that might sound weird, particularly if you're just, like, trying to navigate this Jesus thing for the first time. You may just need to watch this happen for a while before this starts to make sense. But what I mean is, if if you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior or if you're feeling compelled that this is the way that you ought to follow in this life, I want you to use this as an opportunity to fully surrender to Jesus. And I said it would be simple. I did not say it would be easy. (laughs) Didn't say it would be easy. For a lot of us, um, I've been talking about generosity all day, and I've really undersold the financial aspect of this. Because Jesus certainly talks about it a lot. And additionally, um, our finances have a way of controlling our hearts they just do. Where our treasure is, our heart is most likely found. And so one of the things that we're doing to help our church family become more generous, to steward our lives well, and to become the people that God's created us to be, loving servants who are generous, is we're offering a course that we're calling Financial Peace University. Now, it's obviously not something that we have created ourselves. It's a class that is led by a guy named Dave Ramsey, and we just lean into these principles of financial stewardship because we recognize this, When we live like no one else, this is a quote of Dave Ramsey, when we live like no one else now, we'll be able to live and give like no one else later on. Maybe you're recognizing after the month of December that you've set yourself back six months because of the way you've oriented yourself to this holiday season. And frankly, you feel guilty because maybe you want to be generous, but you just don't think it's possible. Uh, When my wife and I went through Financial Peace University before We had gotten into a mortgage, that's a whole game changer in general, but we had eliminated all of our pre-mortgage debt by going through Financial Peace University. And it changed us and it propelled us in such a way that we've become more generous as a result of setting stewardship principles so that we can be the people we feel like God's calling us to be when God is calling us to be those people. So we're offering Financial Peace University and we're trying to make it convenient as possible. It's going to take place starting on Sunday, January 27th. And we're going to do it right here at First Champagne in the Fellowship Hall. And there will be childcare available because we're doing it at 1045 on Sunday mornings for a 10-week stretch. Maybe this is an opportunity for you to invest in worship at 915 for the course of those 10 weeks. And to steward an extra hour of time where you learn to live like no one else so later you can live and give like no one else. If you want to be a part of that, if you really want to untap this lifestyle of holding your life like this before God, I'd really encourage you to sign up. You can go to FCC-online.org forward slash FPU, and there's instructions there about how you can sign up, and we're gonna continue to talk about this as we lead up to the first day of that class. It does cost a little bit of money to sign up, but here's the really cool thing. What we recognize is that within the first 90 days, of Financial Peace University, most folks have already saved close to $5,000. And it's pretty profound how it happens, but it's a huge perspective shift that we want for you if you're ready to take that step. But beyond that, we're about to do our time of response. In a song that we sing frequently, we proclaim these words that our wealth is in the cross, that there's nothing more we want than just to know his love, that our hearts are set on Christ as we sing those words and as we respond in general I really want you to zero into this one thought whatever your next step of generosity is does Jesus have all of me does Jesus have all of me now all of us we're trying again and again and again to acquire more stuff for ourselves why not try Holding our life with open hands instead of closed hands. And seeing the difference that will make. And understanding that there is true inspiration for life change and love and service and generosity that's found in our King Jesus. I'm gonna pray and then I'll talk about what the time of response looks like. Let's pray. Jesus, though, though you are so high and holy and mighty and eternal that you would take on flesh, become a human, walk in our shoes. Wipe off our dirty feet. Serve us. Give us wisdom. Show us who God truly is. Die a painful and excruciating death to reconcile us. Oh, Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't settle for cheap grace, but that we would be willing to be inspired by the costly grace. is so captivated by you that we can't help but give everything away jesus jesus help us to see that this isn't about obligation that this isn't about a task list this is about understanding what life is really about that freedom is truly found when we give everything away we want to be yours completely show us the true life that is really life we lift this up to you in your name jesus amen There are a few things that we do every single week. If you're new to First, you'll recognize that there are little candles that are lighting up uh, tables around the auditorium. Those are our communion stations. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, we want you to use this time to center everything that we do as a church family and everything you do as a follower of Jesus in the little piece of bread that represents Jesus' body and the little cup of juice that represents his blood. We partake of these elements to remember and to celebrate and lift high the name of Jesus in Jesus himself who has made us the body of Christ. Go ahead and do that as you're ready. Um, If you're newer, what you can do is you can take the little piece of bread and then take the little cup of juice and replace the juice in the bucket that's in the middle of the table here in a second when we release everyone to go. Some other folks are going to give tangibly in this time. What you'll recognize is there will be people going and giving gifts because they're inspired by the mission of Jesus that we're trying to accomplish through this local church. They'll do that by dropping those in the give and respond boxes. Other folks are going to pull out that give app that we talked about earlier and give in that way. We're so grateful for your generosity and the way that you've leaned in in a season that typically is about spending for ourselves and other people and things that we don't necessarily need, thank you for being generous to the mission of Jesus in this season. We've been inspired by the way that you've responded to that. And finally, another thing that you can do is take those connection cards that I talked about earlier and you can fold those up and put those in the give and respond boxes. And the last thing I wanna mention is that if you need to surrender to Jesus, why wait? Why keep trying the rat race of getting more, being more, accomplishing more, doing more? Would you take the time to come down to one of these prayer benches Maybe get down on your knees and hold your hands open in a posture of surrender and ask Jesus, what do I need to let go of so that I can be fully yours? I promise you that the freedom he offers, it's the life that is truly life.